0: Good to see everybody. Uh, Welcome. My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here. We want to begin today with just maybe kind of a pastoral moment. After all of the death and violence of this past week, you know, in uh, Baton Rouge, St. Paul, Dallas, the list goes on. More people gone too soon, more mourning families and communities, more anger, more fear, it's been a rough week and a rough year. And uh, so, what do we say? There's a lot we could say. But right now, I'm just going to say our hearts are broken again. And uh, then I'm just going to go to some of our words, some of uh, the words of Scripture. These are God inspired words of the Bible that, though written centuries ago, they speak perfectly and powerfully into our lives and our situation today. So. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 28, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I just want to encourage you, just close your eyes and listen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. But even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, we just cling to these promises today. We are so sick and tired of the violence and death and hatred and fear. And we call out to you, God, to put a stop to it. Come near. Do miracles. Change things. Heal our land. Jesus, if you would like to go ahead and just come back right now and set the world right, even today, we would love that. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. But if you continue to tarry in the meantime, in this in-between time, we, we pray, God, for peace. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with us. Guide us as we each as individuals and as a community seek to be part of the solution and not the problem. Help us to be bridge builders and healers and forgivers and light and darkness and cover us with your grace. In the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. It felt important to do that today, but now uh, we carry on and we move forward in our uh, in this series that we're in called Simplify. And I just got to start by fessing up, okay? Um, my family's going to be gone the next couple of weeks uh, between two conferences and vacation. And so I blocked out. I said, I'm, not, I'm unable to preach those weekends, right? And then I I saw that, oh, I'm going to, I'm being asked to preach this weekend. And then I thought, oh no, I'm preaching weddings on both Saturday and Sunday that weekend. So how's that going to work? I was like, I can't preach that weekend. Then I looked at it. I was like, well, if I move this, if I drive fast, you know, uh, I can actually do it. Right. And Ben's like, yeah, I need to preach that weekend. So I put my name down on it and I looked at the, uh, the schedule and it said, topic for the day, simplify, streamline your schedule. So I just, like, as, like Ben said last week, I come to you as a fellow struggler with busyness and an overfull schedule. I actually snuck in Ben's office and found his calendar. This is Ben's calendar for this month. It's really full and busy, right? A lot of good stuff on there. This, this part here I noticed says pick up diapers for the dog. Um, so I just wanted to show you all, he really is a busy guy. And uh, so that's Ben's calendar. And um, So anyway... I I do, I do come to you as a, as a fellow struggler. And and seriously, it does seem that y'all are funny. It does seem that we all are just thirsting for simplicity, right? We just. Technology promised to simplify our lives, but it's done the opposite. And there's, there's so much energy around this topic. There's so many people going through this, uh, this mid-sized group study and some small groups going through the study. And if you're, it's not too late to dive into that and go deeper with this. Stop at the Connecting Corner today. Get the book. It's a great summer read. I think we're all probably smart enough to know in this room that, um, the complexity of our lives is not going to disappear. We're not going to do this series and all of a sudden your kids are going to come to you and go, you know, mom and dad, I just want to play one sport. That's all. <laughs> your boss is not going to come and just say, I've been so demanding. I apologize. You know, your, your sick relatives that you're caring for, they're not just going to magically get well. Your relational life is not going to all of a sudden get easy to navigate. So I think what we're looking for is what, one of my favorite quotes by Oliver Wendell Holmes. He talks about how we're, what we're seeking is the simplicity on the other side of complexity. We're looking for something to help us live with focus and health and and simplicity amidst the complexity of our lives. We come seeking and desiring a way of life that Jesus described at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 11. Listen to this from the message translation. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real risk. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. And wherever you're at spiritually, whatever you think about Jesus or God or church, I believe that's getting at something we're all looking for. So today we look specifically at the part of this that has to do with our time and our calendar and our schedule. And as we prepare to do so, just I just want you to think about the fact that there are some tensions in the life of faith and in, in the Christian life. That are, they're not problems to be solved, they're just tensions to be managed and they'll always be there. Things like, for example, should we be missional, like go and be, or should we be attractional, like come and see? Should we make more disciples, should we really focus on that, evangelism and growing the church wider or should we focus on uh, discipleship and making better disciples and growing the church deeper should we focus on the transcendence of God how big and awesome and beyond us God is or the eminence and the nearness and the accessibility of God do we want to be historic or contemporary do we want to be relevant to culture or countercultural do we want to be you know global or local church planning or multi site grace or truth and the answer obviously is not either or on any of those things it's both and and we want to be a church that's comfortable in the uncomfortable places and who lives kind of with the and. And so regarding the use of our time in, the, in this life, there's this tension that we need to acknowledge. And we're going we're to talk about it between, between two biblical concepts. And I'm going to represent them today by two different scriptures we're looking at. And uh, the first one is this, Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, be very careful then... How you all live, and there by the way, there's this thing called the Texas uh, Bible plugin If you use G- Google Chrome, you put it, it just changes all the you plurals to y'all it 's awesome uh, It says not as wise, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the lord 's will is so this is a letter written way back at the beginning of the church, written by Paul to the church. And the city called Ephesus, it was a busy port city, uh, the Roman capital of the province of Asia, it was the headquarters of the cult of uh, the goddess Diana or Artemis. He's writing to busy people just like us. And it's a letter about the new life we have in Christ and the new kind of society that emerges from that. And as we get into chapters four and five, the new standards by which we are to live and to conduct our human relationships. And he says, be careful how you live, be thoughtful be intentional, be purposeful, be wise, making the most of every opportunity. The Greek word translated making the most of, that means it's like a marketplace word. It means like to redeem or buy back or to drive a hard bargain. If you've ever been in a lot of foreign cultures, you go to like a local market and anybody who knows the deal says, don't just go pay the first price that they ask. The haggling is a part of it, right? You got to drive a hard bargain or you'll be laughed at. You know, there's like, Think of you as a fool. You don't go buy a car and just walk in and pay the sticker price unless you're, you know, made of money or whatever. But you've got to drive a hard bargain, get the most that you can, right? And that's what we're to do with our time. Because why? Because the days are evil. Meaning that our time is precious. It's flying by, right? Meaning that the times we live in, in a sin-sick world, they're in many ways morally corrupt. That's what the word means there. And we push back against that, right? We know that we don't naturally just drift into just wise, fruitful living. The natural drift of our lives is often more toward wasteful and foolish living. So the word that comes to mind for me is the word efficient. I love the concept of efficiency. It's basically what I studied in college. My, my degree in college was in industrial and systems engineering. Okay, And if you boil that down to a word, it might be efficiency, performing efficiency. Functioning at at something's best, right? Getting the most output for the least input, eliminating waste, wasted materials, wasted motion, wasted energy, wasted money, wasted time. If you ever seen something or someone that's just super efficient, to me it's like a thing of beauty, like nerd alert. But I go on YouTube sometimes and type in things like Amazon inventory delivery, and I just watch these robots and these systems, and I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. Or here's another one. Check out this video. Great example of somebody who's efficient at what they do. This is from Mexico. amazing i mean i i said we used to live down there i would go and watch these guys and we're gonna actually get to be back down there in a couple weeks and i promise you i'm gonna very efficiently devour a lot of those tacos <laughs> those guys are amazing so part of what i think god wants us to do is be efficient with the limited quantity of time he's given us waste is bad if you manage inventory and do it like amazon does it if you make tacos do it like that guy whatever you do Do it well, because in many ways, the time of our life is like the most precious gift that God's given us. But even more important than that, you know, sometimes up here you'll hear us talk about how there's two different Greek New Testament words for time. And one of them is chronos, like chronology, like a quantitative measure of just tick-tock time. But the other one is kairos, which is more qualitative, and it's a little deeper meaning. It means something like the opportune time or the right moment. It's essentially the word in this Ephesians text is kairos. So simplifying and focusing this part of our lives is, is not only about managing our calendars better and, and saying you know, yes and no to the right things for our schedule, although that is very important. But if you look at what we read, verse 17, it was talking about knowing what the Lord's will is. It's not just about getting better and better at what we want to do. It's about better understanding what we should and ought to be doing according to God. It doesn't doesn't just say make the most of every minute or hour. It says make the most of every opportunity. Driving a hard bargain, with how we use our minutes and hours and days for a greater purpose, for what matters most, for what God's will is for our lives. So again, I think gathered here, we can all probably say we understand now that activity... And productivity are not necessarily the same thing. Sometimes we fall into believing that. You know, we say, we say I'm busy as if it's a synonym for I'm important. But that's not true, right? The old preacher D.L. Moody famously said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. Jesus in Matthew 7, he says some pretty sobering words. He says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, that last day, that judgment day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. I think that should scare us a little bit in a good way toward being more careful and more wise in how we're actually using our time, whether or not it's actually pleasing God. But you know, much better than a fear motivation is a love motivation. There's a bunch of other scriptures that just talk about how, like the joy and the privilege of serving God with our lives. And we're called, we're called co-laborers with God when we follow Christ. That's amazing. We're, we're told to persevere and to strive ever onward and upward. There's a lot of like athlete imagery in the New Testament that talks about things like pushing ourselves, working hard, getting better. <clears throat> what we do. How we live, how we spend our one precious life, it really matters. So we give our all and we drive a hard bargain. We make, a, make the most of the time. And I just have this, this growing conviction in my life. As the years fly by ever faster. As I hopefully continue to be transformed and to mature in my faith. I just feel called by God to be increasingly efficient and effective for him and his kingdom purposes. I'm less and less okay with waste, with just foolish use of resources entrusted to me, especially my time I'm less and less okay with just co- comparing taking the easy way of just comparing myself to somebody ever uh, somebody else who just doesn't get it you know like oh well I'm so I'm doing so much better than them, so I'm good no I have to compare myself to my best potential self to my mentors and heroes to Jesus most of all and I have to work hard to max out my kingdom potential i owe that to my king my savior but see here's the tension whenever i get all that like really cooking and really in my head and heart it all revved up i'm out there trying to conquer the world for jesus without fail god speaks through something or somebody it reminds me of this other half of the tension and that we're going to represent that with this scripture today psalm 46:10 says this be still and know that i'm god Interestingly, sometimes very frustratingly, when we get all go, go, go with God, we're just getting after it, we think we're doing just what he wants us to do, God says, okay, now stop. This is a concept known as the Sabbath, and it's basically become a foreign concept to many of us. From the very beginning, God said, one out of seven days, we are to stop, cease, rest, rest our minds and bodies and spirits, fill our emotional and spiritual tanks that are getting drained all the time, take a break, do nothing, just be. It's one of the earliest, most central, and most important aspects of our faith, and yet it is one of the most underappreciated, disobeyed, and flat-out ignored aspects of our faith. With heavy consequences. You know, our world is a mess right now. It sort of always has been. There's terrorism and violence and distrust and tension, and in my opinion, pathetic options for our nation's highest position of leadership, and just di- drugs and divorce. The list goes on and on. And the big question going around is like, what do we do? What are we going to do? How do we fix this, right? And I'll tell you how I would answer that question. If you ask me, what is the number one tangible measurable thing that we could all do starting today to bring about a better world it would have immediate impact we'd see real change my answer is not organize it's not protest it's not vote differently it's not serve more it's not pray more my answer would be if every follower of jesus would actually start keeping the sabbath i think we would see amazing changes in our world overnight why because if we actually kept the sabbath we would pray more You couldn't not pray more. We would would feel more deeply. We would actually weep and mourn over the tragedies around us rather than kind of read about them and zoom to the next meeting. We would think more sharply. We'd be more thoughtful and measured in our communications, quicker to listen, slower to speak, slower to become angry. The amount of foolish things tweeted and posted online by Christians would just plummet. We would actually hear from God so many Christians I know are living their lives going around like, God, why don't you just speak to me? Tell me your will for my life. Answer this question I have. Tell me, tell me, tell me. And they're just rushing around, and God's like, I'm, tr- I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up with you and ha- have you stop for a second and listen to me. We would prioritize our activity much more ri- wisely. We'd know better the no's and the yeses to say but instead, we continue to rush around 1,000 miles an hour with our hair on fire, and we make bad decisions, and there are so many missed opportunities and so many botched opportunities. But it's right there from the very beginning. Stop. Cease. Rest. It is woven into creation. It's part of the design, but we're just like, eh, I don't think so. I don't think so, God. And he's like, seriously? Really? I designed the whole system, and this is pretty important. Rest is essential to fruitful activity. Put aside the spiritual stuff for a minute. Let's just talk practically. Basketball fans, Steph Curry and the Warriors, they pushed through. They won those 73 games in the regular season. They played those minutes, and it appeared that they sort of ran out of gas late in the playoffs. Interesting. You know, all kinds of studies show over and over that the most productive, the best workers are rested and healthy employees. I grew up right right around where Chick-fil-A grew up and where Chick-fil-A people are, uh, the headquarters and everything. And um, they're famously closed on Sundays, right? And we know that's primarily a spiritual decision. Secondarily, it's a family decision. But interestingly enough, anytime I've ever heard anybody ask Chick-fil-A leadership, uh, what about all the millions of dollars you're forfeiting by being closed one out of every seven days? They do the calculations. You could be making millions and billions of more dollars. And they say, no, 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 no. That's also the best business decision we've ever made. They believe that's a big reason why they make all the millions that they do the other six days. That's interesting, right? So let me remind you again of this helpful... We talked about this a couple months ago. We say this over and over, but it's a helpful framework we use around here to help keep the Sabbath. And I'm just going to go back to it. One, we talk about divert daily. In the simplified book, Bill Hybels talks about chair time. We talked about three chairs. Here's the fourth chair, a rocking chair, okay? Uh, 15 minutes a day. Where do you sit and just be with God? Open the Bible, pray. I'm a pastor and it is shocking how, how awful I can be at this part of my life for stretches. Uh, And it's, it's also shocking just the obvious difference that it makes in my life when I am or when I'm not doing that. Speaking of shocking, listen to this 2014 university of Virginia. They did a study People were asked to sit alone for a few minutes with no access to cell phones, books, or other distractions. In the room was a device, like a cattle prod, that gave harmless but uncomfortable electric shocks. Everyone agreed to experience one shock at the beginning of the session. After feeling it, they all stated unanimously that they would pay money to prevent more shocks. But additional shocks were optional. They left the cattle prod in the room, and participants were asked only to remain seated, stay awake, entertain themselves with their thoughts for 15 minutes. The researchers expected that people might appreciate the chance to sit quietly and think, but most participants rated the experience as boring and unpleasant. And listen to this. One-fourth of the women and two-thirds of the men... Voluntarily chose to administer additional electric shocks to themselves rather than sit alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes. (laughs) This is insanity. (laughs) This is sickness. And this is normal for us. Two-thirds of you guys. Good job. But Christians... We're weird, right? We're supposed to actually choose to sit alone with our thoughts, partly because, precisely because we, don't know, we know that we're not alone. We sit alone. We know we're never alone. God is with us. And so through prayer, through quiet, through the pages of the Bible, he speaks to us. So get yourself a rocking chair or find your spot where you're going to do your chair time every day. Next, we like to say withdraw weekly, like a whole day stop and cease and rest be still i'm actually better at this one than the daily one i've just learned that if it doesn't happen i'm not much good to anybody i'm tired i'm grumpy rude i start to get physically sick my body wears down and i you know i work on sundays some of you do too so i have to find another time i know this is hard i know some some of you out there thinking this guy does not get my life i'm working three jobs i do not have time I I get it, I see you, I feel for you, and that's real. But listen, I can't let you off the hook. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And worship weekly, that's a part of this one. You know, there's a lot of Christians I know, they're like, come on God, speak to me, tell me what you, just show me something, tell me something. And then when it comes to weekly worship attendance, going to church, it's like a coin flip. It's like the, the lowest priority thing ever. It's like, eh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Statistics these days show that members, like committed people, are coming less and less, less often. But if you want to hear from God, well, take, make the most of a weekly opportunity to be where God, where his word is taught, where his presence is invoked and invited. It should be a part of your Sabbath. And it's called, it's part of the design. And we say quit quarterly. And I've been blessed. The last couple of years, I've started this rhythm of quarterly spiritual retreat where I go away, I have reading and silence and solitude and teaching. And um, I'm just telling you, I'm doing that the rest of my life. I'm a better pastor, husband, father, friend, everything when I get away for more than a day. Once a quarter. And uh, if you're married, Aaron and I, we do date nights. We're not as good at that on a regular basis as some people. But we've definitely found that date nights are not enough even. Dinner and a movie, we don't get to get into the conversations that we need to have. We need to get away quarterly for like 24 plus hours. So we try to do that. And you don't have to spend a lot of money. You can be creative. What does this look like for you? Go to the park for a whole day. Go to a coffee shop, camp out across town where you're not going to run into a bunch of people. Figure it out and put it on your calendar. And we say abandon annually. This is vacation. something that you, I, I really believe you need to have something to look forward to on your calendar at all times. And no offense to y'all, but we're leaving for a family trip and I just cannot wait. I can't wait to get out of here. Change of scenery, new perspective. Here's a couple of questions. Do you come back from every trip you go on more tired than you were when you left? Are you leaving vacation on the table? Studies show well over half of Americans <clears throat> leave some unused vacation uh, at the end of the year. That totals hundreds of millions of hours and tens of billions of dollars in forfeited benefits. We do this because we're scared, we'll be fired or passed over. We don't believe anybody else can do the job as well as I can. You know, We can't afford a fancy vacation like our friends took, like we saw on TV, so you know, we just might as well go to work. That's sick, right? That's a little crazy too. I mean, I get it if you love your job and all that, but you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You don't have to do anything fancy. Stay home. Go, go on a mission trip. And this is going to look different for all of us, and this is why I'm calling us to be the church. If you have plenty, help those who don't have plenty. This applies to time, not just money. Help people find ways to create space to be still in their lives. So I have this other growing conviction in my life, which is in tension with the first one I mentioned. On the one hand, I know God is calling me to be increasingly efficient. But on the other hand, I know God is calling and commanding me to be intentionally inefficient at regular intervals in my life. To have systems of rest. Times when I just know I'm going to step out of the jet stream and just be still and remember that he is God. I'm not God my calendar's not God. You guys aren't God. Your needs are not God. I have to invest in my relationship with him. Sabbath just flies in the face of all of our human striving. You know, one out of seven, that's like 14.3%. That's a lot. That's a lot of time to just be still, but it's what we're commanded to do. This is such a challenging and countercultural thing. You know, as Christians, we're called to do some difficult and strange things. We're called to serve voluntarily. We're called to just give some of our money away. We're called to have this very high standard of sexual purity. But I think even among those, this may be the hardest one to just be still. So we all live in this tension, it's not going away, but we've got to help each other navigate it. So with the time that remains, I want to give you one word and two questions. Whenever I start thinking about teaching this stuff, um, this word always comes to mind. And it's a special word because, in part because I know that no matter how many thousands of times I write it or type it, I'll never be 100% confident that I'm spelling it right. But it is the word rhythm. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's hard to quantify, but there's an undeniable rhythm to the life of Jesus. He manages this tension between activity and rest, between striving for God, working with God, and resting in God and waiting for God. He, he nails it with a, just a perfect balance. It's not always the same. It's not like a metronome. Okay, sometimes people say, life is like a marathon, and I go, if that is true, Lord, take me now. That sounds horrible. Then somebody said one time, Life is not like a marathon, it's more like a series of sprints and I'm like, Okay, that's better. There's some rest times in there. That still sounds incredibly boring and terrible. To me, life I think life is like a more like a game of basketball. Game of football. Game of baseball. Now we're talking. There's an ebb and a flow. There's times of preparation and intense effort and focus and rest and coaching and huddling up and getting together and performing as a team and performing alone and different skills at different moments and offense and defense. And and here's what I love. The more you know the game, the more you're just around it and immersed in it, the more you just feel it, you just get the rhythm and the ebb and the flow. And it's like that with the life of Jesus. And by the way, it's like that in the lives of the people that you admire who really are walking with Jesus. It's attractive, it's winsome, it's the system working as it's designed. It is the unforced rhythms of grace. It's a glimpse of the abundant life that we're promised in Christ. Jesus, he moves at different speeds at different times, but he's never never once in a hurry. He has time to be interrupted. Many of the greatest stories of Jesus happen when he's interrupted from this other thing he's on his way to do. He has times with big crowds, smaller groups, intimate times with his closest friends, times alone with God, times of sleep and rest. The more you immerse yourself in the gospel story, the more you will pick up on the rhythm of the life of Jesus and begin to adopt it in your own life. So here's your homework for the summer, for this week. Pick one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start with one. And just start reading it and ignore the verse numbers and ignore this little section headings and read it like a story. And just read it look with an eye toward the rhythm of the life of Jesus. And then lastly, we got these two questions. And the first question is this. And this is the question that I'm tempted to make the first thought of my day every day. What do I have to do? And this means do I have to. You know, it's so easy to just wake up and start all right, to-do list, what do I got to do? But here's the second question. This is the question Bill Hybels poses in this week's chapter of the book. Um, And it's a better question. Who, and this means do I want to, be? That's a better question. It's not one that everybody actually asks, but Christians, Christ followers ask it. Because here's the deal. If you lead with this question, you're going to get your answer to this question. It's going to shape who you become. There will always, always, always be more things to do than there will be time to do them in. Good things. If you start with, what do I need to do? I promise you this. There will be lots of people in your life. Your friends, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your employees, your bosses, your pastors, people on TV marketers and advertisers, well-meaning people who really care about you, strangers who just want to use you, enemies who want to destroy you, even the devil himself will gladly continue to hand you things to fill up your schedule, to overfill, and your life will be overstressed. And you'll give in over and over to the tyranny of the urgent. And as you do over time, the things you continually choose to do will shape who you become and who you are the line that stuck with me most from ben's sermon last week was something like our lives essentially are the sum total of the yeses that we say and that's so true the things we say yes to doing shape who we are and one of the most heartbreaking things in ministry and in life is just seeing someone who's kind of toward the end of their their time and they just go well crap you know this is This is not who I wanted to be. But it's where they ended up because they only ever asked the what do I got to do question. And the time is gone. But here's the good news. Wherever you're at, if you lead with this question, who do I want to be? It will give you perspective that will shape how you answer this question. How you put things on that list. Running things through the filter of who you want to be and hopefully shaped by who God wants you to be, who he designed and created you to be. It will shape everything that you decide to do. And it really is that simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Begin with being and let that guide all of your doing. So I hope that you'll go home this week and do some stuff. I really do. I hope you will find and name your spot for chair time with God. I hope you'll begin to read the stories of Jesus and sense the rhythm of his life. I hope you'll get out your calendar, okay? Put some Sabbath times on it. Here's, here's another homework assignment. Get your calendar, whatever it is. If it's a paper calendar, if it's on your phone, get it out. If you have a family, wherever it is, lay it in the middle of the table and pray over it. Put your hand on it and pray for it. And then, after you've done that and committed it to God, then start to write some things on it. Turn off your phone. You could do, I invite you, to, if you want, to do that even right now, just for the rest of the time we're here together, to prove to yourself that you can do it and survive it. Make the most of your time. Seize some opportunities this week for God. But we're going to start this moment not with doing, but with just being. So I'm going to move over to this chair, and I want to invite you to close your eyes. Breathe deeply. Maybe place your palms up and open, showing openness to God. And I want you to listen to God speaking these words to you now. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end. Be still and know. Trust and believe and rest in the knowledge that I'm sovereign over your life. You don't have to be. God, the creator, the sustainer. Be still. Quiet your mind. Set aside your hurry. Be. Hear God saying that before you were born, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I love you. You were created as a result of my love. Now rest in it. I want to be with you every moment of your life. Just be. God, help us to simplify our lives and truly let you be Lord over our calendars and schedules. Bring simplicity on the other side of complexity and give us wisdom. Give us strength and courage to honor and obey you by keeping the Sabbath. Help us to get over our fear of missing out based on assurance that we're going to live with you forever. May our lives reflect the rhythms of Jesus and may the watching world be drawn toward you as a result. Help us to live well in the tension between making the most of the precious gift of time through active faith and being still in life-restoring times of just resting alone in you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We welcome you into every moment of our lives, beginning with this one right now. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.